And before we turn back uh, to the book of Joshua, chapter 5, uh, let's look to God once again in prayer, and let's pray. Lord God, we, we humbly come to you, and our the prayer, in a sense, as always, is for grace. And we pray, Lord God, that in these moments as we turn, we open uh, your word, we pray, Almighty One, uh, that you would pour out blessing that we do not deserve, uh, that you would give us uh, sight to see, hear things that we have not yet seen, that you would teach us by uh, your Holy Spirit. And we pray, we pray that you would encourage us for the Christian life, that we might uh, be doers of your word. We pray that you would do immense and mighty things uh, today, Lord God, uh, winning people, changing people for yourself and for your glory. And we are conscious of the way that you work, that it is not by means, not by, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So we pray and ask for a great working of your Holy Spirit in these moments, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, as we have mentioned, actually, once, twice, three times, perhaps, as we've noted previously, you and I as Christians, we are presently, at this moment in time, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. We are, you and I, just now engaged in a spiritual war. I am sure we are all very much aware of that as we consider the environment in which we live, our society just now. Even as we, you and I, survey the week that stretches out ahead of us, the week uh, coming, we see perhaps not only do we inhabit enemy territory to a certain extent, but we also appreciate, don't we, that we have uh, skirmishes with sin, we have skirmishes with opposition uh, to fight. Now, that's fine. And all of us, I'm sure, as Christians, are aware of the weaponry that you and I need for this combat. After all, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 makes it incredibly clear, the armory, the weaponry we need. But here's the question, what mindset should we as Christians adopt? Do you see the matter at hand? Let's face it, we have such little time on this earth. And we want to fight well, don't we? Don't we? We want to slay sin effectively. So what should be our focus as you and I, even now, survey the battlefield ahead of us? Well, last week, uh, in the book of Joshua. Were you here last week? Do you remember what we saw? We saw that the, the people of Israel had actually crossed over. You could say they'd crossed over into enemy territory. That'd be fair, wouldn't it? They've crossed over the Jordan. They enter into sort of occupied territory and they've got all these battles ahead of them to fight. Well, this morning, isn't it interesting to read what we do in this portion of Scripture? In chapter 5, do you notice that instead of concerning themselves with military strategy 
for all of these battles ahead, what do they do? Did you notice it? Instead of military strategy, by way of two religious ceremonies. Did we all get what they were? We had circumcision and we had the Passover. So instead of military strategy, by way of these religious celebrations, the people of God, they focus themselves on the Lord. Is everybody with me? So before battle, instead of military strategy, they fix their eyes on their Lord. And so maybe this morning, Christian friends, maybe you can see our hope. Hope's pretty much the same. Our hope is that as we turn at these verses and we unpack them, that will God will move us towards him, that you and I might go out into Dundee or wherever it is you're from, that we might fight well a spiritual battle, and that we might do that with our eyes firmly fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, sometimes I think maybe it helps to have an outline of the sermon just in front of us uh, before we launch into the text. You can disagree with me on that if you want later on. Sometimes it's helpful to know what we're doing. So let me just give you the outline very briefly. So this morning, really, we've only got two headings uh, to wrestle with instead of three or four or five or six. We've got the two, okay? Because let's face it, we've got two religious ceremonies to deal with. So two headings. Now you're all thinking, oh, we're getting off lightly here. But no, because under each of these headings, we'll have a couple of subheadings uh, to deal with. Oh dear. <laughs> Hugh, for those sitting at home, Hugh, your elder is disappointed. <laughs> uh, but we have got two headings, each with two lessons or two subpoints uh, to deal with. Uh, this morning. Okay, now, with these things said, can I encourage you please to have a copy of Scripture in front of you, your phone or tablet or physical copy of the Bible. Those at home need to run to the bookshelf to get it inside your bedside table. Go and get the Bible. And let's think about the first heading, and that's quite simply, some lessons from circumcision. You heard it correctly. First of all, some lessons from circumcision this morning. Okay, let's look at Joshua 5. Um, now, largely, I think, just because I'm, I'm used to speaking uh, to the previous congregation in London, so it's diverse uh, culturally, ethnically, largely because of that reason, um, my, my usual practice, as you can understand, I'm sure, is to try and explain terms when we come to, do you see the rationale behind that? So I'm used to speaking to a group of people for whom English is not their first language, a lot of them. Okay, so you can see the thinking, can you? You know, if we get to a technical term uh, in the Bible, it's probably better that I just like slow down and stop and try and explain what we're dealing with as a technical term. Not this morning. <laughs> not when we're dealing uh, with circumcision. Okay, this morning, not at all. I, this morning, I'm going to assume an awful, I'm going to assume knowledge, okay? I'm not going to go into detail. I'm going to assume that we know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the cutting away part of a, a delicate area of a man's anatomy. So I'm not going there, okay? But that said, I think we do have to address why on earth do the people of Israel 
But why did he do, do this? What, what was this ceremony? Why did, what was that about? What, what did it symbolize? So listen to this, first of all. Let me just see what circumcision did not symbolize. Let's be very clear about this. Circumcision was not simply an ethnic badge. Okay, is everybody on the same page? Do we, are we with me on that? So a circumcision was not just simply a badge of national identity. It wouldn't make any sense for that to be the case because circumcision was actually really quite widely practiced in the ancient world. So if it was simply a badge of ethnicity, well, it wouldn't be a particularly good badge. So it's not just that, not just that. Okay, what was it? Let me state this big statement and then we'll just try and unpack it. So make sure you get this. So what's circumcision? Listen, circumcision was a sign and a seal of what was called the covenant of grace. Everyone got it? Say it again. What circumcision? What was it to the people of Israel? So it was a sign and it was a seal of what's called the covenant of grace. That sounds fancy, you know, big, grand. What are we dealing with? Well, we've been here before. We, we know the book of Genesis, don't we? we? We know what happened there. We know that God entered into a covenant promise with Abraham and with his people, don't we? So God promised to be their God and they would be his people. What, what, what else? That this people would grow into a nation. This people would actually have a land as well. Now, here's my question for you. Wrestle with it. What, were, what was the nature of those covenant promises? You, you would see, yeah, they're, they're temporal and they're physical, aren't they? So there was actually a physical land. There was dust. Look at us in Joshua. There was actually a physical land in Canaan. What was also true of the covenant promises? This is important. They were also eternal and spiritual in nature, weren't they? Come on. What does Hebrews 11 tell us? In these covenant promises, Abraham's looking ahead to an eternal land, a heavenly city. Do you see it? In essence, this covenant of grace, way back then, these were promises of, wait for this, these were promises of the gospel itself, even way back then in Genesis. Think about it. Through faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. Faith in what God was about to do. What does he receive? He receives blessing. He receives spiritual blessing, eternal blessing in this covenant of grace way back in Genesis. What's the question you're asking? The question you're asking is not, what's love got to do with it? The question you're asking is, well, what's circumcision got to do with it? Well, if you think back to Genesis 17, you'll remember that God attached a sign to this amazing covenant of grace that as these people are receiving these promises, they are to be marked by circumcision. Why? Yes, as a mark of their identity. Ah, they're covenant-bearing people. But more than that, they're marked by circumcision to point to what this covenant requires. What did the covenant of grace require? A changed heart. A heart relationship with God. They're marked by circumcision because what God demanded 
circumcised hearts to truly receive these eternal blessings. And if we put all of those pieces to the jigsaw together, what's the picture? What do you see now in front of you? If you put it all together, you now see why in Joshua chapter 5, at the beautifully named, what is it, Gibeath Haraloth, and I'll leave it to you to look at the footnote to see what that means. But you see now why at Gibeath Haraloth, the people of Israel, they now buy the water. They are circumcised in the presence of God. Now, if ever there was a portion of Scripture that seems pretty distant and remote to us in this room living in Dundee in the 21st century. Is it not this portion of scripture? Are we in danger of thinking this is just too remote? Let's face it. What is it? Thousands of men being circumcised by little flint knives beside a river. It is uh, it's not going to happen at the tea any, any time soon. We can maybe think this seems too remote, seems way too distant for us, but I believe very firmly that there are a couple of lessons for you and for me in this portion of Scripture. See, I would just ask you to imagine that you were late for church this morning. I don't think anybody really was. Imagine you were so late that you had missed the Bible reading. Now, if you'd missed the Bible reading, wouldn't it be a question that you were asking just now? You'd be thinking, why did why do these men need to be circumcised? After all, what do we know? Like from Genesis, the kids were circumcised, weren't they? Like from the eighth day, they were circumcised. Wouldn't we all be asking, like, what, why? Why earth? Like they're, they're grown men. Why do they need to be circumcised? But you, folk, did not miss the reading. So you know the answer, don't you? Why were these men not circumcised? Why not? Because listen carefully, circumcision had not happened in the wilderness. We understand it, don't we? We see why? Because that previous generation had been unfaithful and rebellious. We, we all know the story, don't we? And Joshua spells it out. Numbers 11, what happens? The people of God, they hear the reports from the spies about Canaan. How do they respond to it? They respond in disbelief. They grumble against God. They rebel against God. And what does God do? God judges that generation, doesn't he? Like, not only does he force them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, what does he do? He says, you're not getting in. He actually bars them from entrance to the promised land. And I think it is there, right there, as your eyes look to that previous generation, that Joshua makes you see here. I think it's there you see the first lesson here from circumcision this morning. Because do we not see this as we look to, to that people, that previous generation? Listen carefully. We see that bearing the marks of the community of faith is simply not enough to be right with God. Did everyone hear it? As we look, as Joshua points us to that previous generation, don't we see that bearing the marks of the community of faith is not enough to be right with God? And here this morning, I would love, I want to speak to you all here in application, but we've got a number of younger people in the room I have a number of younger people listening online. I would want you to listen to your minister, please. Just for, for this next little bit, please listen. Because I don't know how you, uh, how you thought about coming to church this morning. Maybe some of the younger people were fighting with mum and fighting with dad about having to get up and go to church. 
I want you to understand, appreciate just how privileged you really are. The privileges that you have that loads of young people do not have this morning. Now, you can see it from this, can you? Maybe. Now, listen to me. Like this previous generation from the wilderness, you, in your baptism, many of you, young people, you bear the marks of the community of faith in your life by your baptism. You know, you, you, you have the, the sign of God's grace, his gospel, his covenant work on your life. Now, that's amazing. But it's more than that as well. Like, you've got to understand, think about where you are. Think about what you get to do as young people. At this point in your life, you get to journey, just like that previous generation, you get to journey through this part of your life amongst the community of faith. Like, did you just laugh that off? It's an amazing privilege. Think about it as a young person. Like, God's fixed you in his covenant community. Put you here. You get to be taught by your mum and your dad about Jesus. Like you get, to, you get to hear the preaching of the gospel week in, week out. You get to even see pictures of the gospel in the Lord's Supper. Do you see how privileged you are compared to other people sitting at home? I need you to listen. Listen to me. You must understand, as beautiful as all of that is, as wonderful as it is, it is not enough for you to enter into the promised land of God's salvation. Are you listening, younger people? The rest of us listening, do you see it? Bearing the marks of the community faith is not enough for you to be right with God. It's only if you do what circumcision actually pointed to. It's only if your heart is changed. It is only, listen, it is only if you lay hold of Jesus Christ by faith. It's only then that God welcomes you and somebody pushes you into the promised land of his salvation. I'm asking you, young people, have you done that? Have you lay hold of Christ Jesus by faith? But I said two lessons about circumcision because hang on a second, friends. In a sense, from a worldly perspective, see what we're reading about here. Isn't it from a worldly perspective? Isn't it crazy? Like with all respect and all reverence, from a worldly perspective, think about it. Isn't it almost suicidal? Isn't it? Think about what we've just read. The people of Israel cross over into enemy territory. First thing they do, I know what we'll do. We'll circumcise all of our men of fighting age. Do you see it? First thing they do, they come into hostile territory and they, they, they render all of their men of fighting age ineffective for battle. Now, we know, we know, don't we, that the enemies are melting back with fear but I'm pretty sure that the people of Israel didn't know the extent of that. Do you, do you see? Like we're asking, why on earth would you do this? Why, God, do you want them to do this? And that brings us to the second lesson here. Listen, please, please. As they fight, clearly God wants his people to be conscious of their identity. Do you see? Like having them circumcised at this point, before they go out, before they battle, God clearly getting them to do this as they fight. God wants them conscious of their privileged status. I think this morning you can see that clearly. I mean, what does God not want to happen in Canaan? At this point, the crossover, God doesn't just want his people to just charge out into Canaan just as another people group. He doesn't want that. 
doesn't just go out just like everybody else. You go out, try, charge. No, he doesn't. He wants them by their circumcision. He wants them to remember who they are by their circumcision. He wants them to remember, you are mine. You belong to me. You are my covenant people. By their circumcision, you are a people bearing my covenant promises in your life. And if that is true for Israel in Joshua 5, Don't you think it's true for us as saints, as Christians, at St. Peter's this morning? Because what what are we talking about? Do you remember the introduction? Do you? We're talking about spiritual warfare, preparation for spiritual warfare. Well, I, I think in many, many ways, Christians today, a lot of us, are incredibly defeatist when we think about our society and the and the wars we have to wage, aren't we? Isn't that the case? You, know, you can imagine it. You know, parents who are trying to push back with schools because of the, the, the you know, ungodly curriculum. And what can be the attitude that we fall into sometimes? You think, oh, this enemy is too great for us to cope with. And a lot of us are trying to witness to unbelieving family. And what can we slip into thinking? We can say, oh, their strength of unbelief is way too great. And all of us right across the board, without exception, in this room just now as a Christian, every one of us, we're trying to fight certain specific habitual areas of sin, aren't we? What do we slip into? Oh, that foe. It's too formidable for me to to strike victory. Well, look at this. What does God want us to do? Don't we see a lesson here? Like in Joshua 5, God wants us striding into battle, riding into battle, and doing so conscious of who we are. Who are we? We are the covenant people of God. We are people who bear the very promises of the Creator on our lives. We are a people who have been chosen by God. It's amazing. We are a people who are forgiven by God. We are a people for whom ultimate victory over sin and over our opponents, ultimate victory is assured. We, like in Joshua 5, need to bear that in mind for, for the battles ahead. So we see some lessons from circumcision. But I'm sure everybody noticed, did you? There's two. Let's go back to it. There's two rites. There is circumcision, and then there is the Passover here. So secondly, let's consider some lessons from the Passover. And here, I'm going to speak about, very briefly, my youngest daughter, Juliet. And you see why I can do it? Because she's not here. She's in Sunday school. And so, she will never find out provided you do not tell her. Okay. See, uh, I've been reasonably impressed for a change uh, with, with Juliet recently. Um, see, not across the board. I'm sure it's not a case right across the board. But see, for her specific age group, the education system is slightly different. You know what it's like. The education system we've had in England, the system there is different to the one in Scotland. And so we're trying to adjust and work out what, where do they go. What classes do they go into? And for her specific age group, and the way it's worked, it's, it's not right, the case right across the board, but the education in England has just been a few weeks ahead of what she's receiving here. Okay, so it's not the case right across the board, but for her, 
she's, she, her, the education sister, a few weeks ahead, and do you know what? It just does not bother her at all. I think it is because uh, she's incredibly lazy. I think she's, she is even proud of her laziness uh, as a young child. So she, do you see the picture? She is happy because she's so lazy. She is happy to sit in class and to hear what she's already heard before. That doesn't matter. Like she's happy to sit in class and to be told day after day after day, happy as Larry, to be told stuff that she already knows. Okay, so there's Juliet, right? Now, not lost my marbles at all. That is what I'm hoping happens right now in here. Okay, because do you see what I've got to do? We're going to speak about the second right. I have to speak to you about the Passover. What do I know? I know you already know about the Passover. But my hope, it's like Juliet, you're going to be happy. My hope is that you'll stick with us, for, uh, stick with me for a, a couple of, of minutes here. Because now, think about it for a moment. Isn't the scene that you've got in front of you, in this copy of scripture in front of you, isn't the scene amazing? So think about what's happening. So you've got thousands of people that they come into enemy territory, and what do they do? Like, so you've got thousands of people, like as far as the eye can see, you've got people, and they all sit down, <laughs> and they all enjoy this symbolic meal. Isn't that an amazing scene? Let me ask you as an aside, what, what song is going around in your head just now? So you consider that. Psalm, Psalm 23? Is it Psalm 23? You think about it? In the presence of my enemies, a table. You, you said, you see, that all of these people, they sit down in enemy territory. They enjoy this symbolic meal. Now, what did this meal, this Passover signify? We know the answer, don't we? Of course we know the answer. This meal commemorated the exodus from Egypt. Isn't that what the Passover was about? We know this, right? A meal celebrating God's protective hand over the people. Celebrating the fact that God has taken his people. He's taken them out of chains and out of slavery and away out of Egypt. It's marvelous. Now, if you look with me at the beginning of verse 10, please do that. If you look there, I think what will strike you is the precision and the detail of this. Do you notice what God does? So, so God has his people celebrate the Passover in exactly the same way as the first Passover in Exodus. Do you notice the detail there? Look at the date. So it's the 14th day of the month. That's the same as in Exodus. Then look at the time of day. Do you see? It's the evening. It's the twilight. Do you see what God is doing? It's marvelous. Listen, that although that previous rebellious generation, they, had, they hadn't circumcised, but they had actually observed the Passover. Despite that, God here has drawn this line, this line past that rebellious generation, back to Exodus. He said, this people... These, this is the true Israel, these believing Israel, the true people of God. Now, it's fine, great. I know the question you ask. The question you ask is fine, this is, this is okay, but what do we learn? What does this say to us as St. Peter's? Well, as before, remember two lessons of circumcision, a couple of lessons in Passover. The first is this. We learn here that as his people engage the world, God wants them to be mindful of the 
means of their redemption. Isn't that what we see in Passover? Think about it. Before they, before they go off to war, before they stride out, God has them observe the Passover. What's that teaching us? Teaching us that before his people engage the world, before they go out in battle, God wants them focusing on the means of their redemption. Because go back to what I said a moment ago about Juliet and about yourselves. Remember? I said, you know, I am aware as I stand before you. I'm aware you know about the Passover, don't you? All of you, all y'all, y'all know about the Passover. So because of that, you know that I only gave a partial picture of the meal. So what did I say? I said the Passover commemorated the exodus from Egypt. Is that what the Passover was all about? It's only part of it. The Passover focused on what? On the means by which the people were redeemed. Isn't that right? You think about the meal? The meal didn't just focus on the fact that they were delivered. The meal focused on how that deliverance came about. You know this, right? We all know what stood at the center of the Passover meal. A lamb. And we know it, don't we? We know what happened. We know that the people had to take that lamb, a spotless lamb, a blemish-free lamb. Think about what this would have been like. They had to take it into their house for four days. Do you see what's happening? The people are identifying with this beautiful animal. Imagine what the kids would have been like. Identifying with this lovely lamb for four days. Then what had to happen? Then that beautiful lamb was slaughtered. It was killed, its blood taken and administered to the doorposts and to the, the roofs of the houses. Don't you see it here in Canaan? God wants that front and center. God wants his people to bear in mind that means of redemption before they stride out into battle, before they stride out into war. And because of that, I need to ask you this question. I wonder, sincerely I wonder, if part of the reason that we are so ineffective in our witness as Christians is how quickly we forget what God has done. Is that true of St. Peter's? Is it true of you? Is it true of me? Part of the reason for our apathy, part of the reason that we're so ineffective in reaching Scotland, reaching the United Kingdom, is that we just forget the cost he's borne. Forget what God has done, the means of our redemption. Yet for a moment, Christian friends, think about how, how great it is. This God who is bigger than you, right? Greater than you, greater than the earth, greater than the universe. This great majestic God has spilt his blood to purchase the church. This majestic Christ, pre-existent, eternal, the very son of God. What would you say to me? What has he done? How would you put it into your words? You would say maybe he's taken upon himself flesh and humanity, right? Think about why. Why has he done it? To become that lamb, taken on flesh and humanity so that he might be slain. The very blood of the Christ of God, his very blood administered to the lintels of that wooden cross. At Golgotha, do, do you see? Isn't it marvelous to consider what has been done for us? Circumcision, Christ has become your circumcision. He's been cut off. He's been thrown away for you. He has borne the reproach of Egypt as we read here. It is marvelous the extent of it. 
But don't you see what it means? It means we need to do as the people of Israel did here before battle. You and I, yes, through the Lord's Supper, of course, when that comes around, but every single day of our lives, through prayer, meditation, the study of his word, we need to bear in mind the means by which we have been redeemed and set free. We must keep it in view as we go out and engage the world. And then the last thing, the second lesson from the Passover is this. We see in this chapter of Scripture that God loves giving foretastes of coming delight. God loves giving foretastes of coming delight. I wonder if you'd look at verse 11 with me. Do you have a look at verse 11? It's, it's, it's unusual, I think, verse 11. It's quite uh, strange. Um, what, what, what would you be expecting to read in verse 11? Like, given all the details already about the Passover. Do you remember the details? The date is exact. The, the hour, like the timing of the Passover is exact. So what would you expect Scripture to go on and do? You would expect, wouldn't you, that God is going to give us the details of how they prepared the Passover. Wouldn't you? You would expect God to give us the details of how they ate the Passover and all the details. And is that what you've got in verse 11 and 12? That is not what we've got in verse. Instead, God focuses your attention on what? On the produce of the land. Now, you've got it two ways, don't you? So you've got it negatively, the fact that the manna stopped. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? So this point in scripture right here, that miraculous provision that people have enjoyed for, for years, here stops. No more manna. That's the negative side of it. The positive side of it is that the people, listen to this, the people ate of Canaan for the very first time. Now, what we are supposed to appreciate is how absolutely marvelous this moment is. I mean, do we appreciate? I mean, do we see how symbolic it is? At this moment, the land is welcoming the people of God. Do you see? They have the fruit. You know, this moment, the people are taking possession of Canaan. You know, the, the land is saying, come on, eat of our fruit, eat of our produce. Do you see? Maybe, you know, it's amazing. We're supposed to see it's amazing. But maybe this morning you're sitting there and you're underwhelmed. Are you underwhelmed? By verse 11, because what exactly do they eat? <laughs> uh, Steve read from the NIV. I've got the NIV and the ESV here. What did they read? So you've got unleavened bread and... Uh, so you've either got roasted grain, or this is closer. Ready? What did they eat? They ate parched grain. <laughs> what are you having for your lunch, friends? Anybody going all out <laughs> and having parched grain. Does it sound underwhelming? Does it sound anticlimactic? If you're in danger of thinking like that, put yourself in the people's shoes. I mean, do you not see what they would have seen? Like, can you not interpret this as they would have interpreted this? Do you, not, do you not know what they would have known? They would have loved this moment. They would have cherished this moment because what do they know? They knew that this grain in their hand was just a foretaste of what was coming to them as they went into Canaan. Isn't it? 
They knew this unleavened bread that, that Canaan's given up, this, this roast grain, this part. This is just a taste. This is just a sample of what is coming to us by God's hand in the promised land. And as we end this morning, I hope that you see the same is true for you. Uh, I spoke earlier on to the younger people in the room. Let me close by speaking to the older people in the room. I think I, you could do this, could you, the older people? If I went round with a microphone that we've got uh, and I asked you, I'm sure that all the older people could tell me of times as they look back in their life, times of great and beautiful spiritual delight that you've enjoyed. You think about it for a moment, can't you? You could tell me, you could tell everybody else, the older people here, you could tell me it's a real mountaintop spiritual experiences, couldn't you? Where God has been so good to you. You know, that sermon that you heard years ago, but oh, God spoke right to your heart. One of those times of prayer, maybe by yourself or maybe with other Christians where you knew the Holy Spirit pushing you in prayer. A time of fellowship that you've had with other believers where you served the Lord Jesus Christ and it was so heavenly. Isn't it beautiful? You know it. What must you bear in mind? As beautiful as that was, do you know what it was? In God's sight, for you, that was parched grain. That's what that was. That was quite simply unleavened bread. Such as God's grace, that the, the, the best spiritual experience that you have ever had in your Christian life. Do you know that that is just a foretaste, a foretaste, just a sample of the gifts that are coming to you by the gracious hand of God. You see, when we get to heaven, when we cross over, when we get into the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, what awaits for us? Nourishment, joy, the likes of which we cannot even possibly imagine truly by the blood of Christ and by the grace of God. What is ahead for you, Christian friend? Let me tell you. What is ahead? It is a land flowing with milk and honey, all by the grace of God. Friends, as we go from this room this morning, and as we go out to engage Dundee with the gospel, unbelieving people into our spiritual battle, do you not agree we ought to bear in mind the spiritual lessons of circumcision, spiritual lessons of the Passover? Who are we? We are the covenant people of God. Why should we be afraid? We are the covenant people of God. We have been forgiven by God. And we have a bountiful, eternal future of blessing ahead. And how does it come to us? How did it come to you? All by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's bow before our creator. Let's pray. Gracious Father, God, we thank you for Joshua chapter 5. We thank you for uh, their obedience in administering the sign of the covenant of grace uh, in circumcision, and their obedience in partaking of the Passover feast. Lord God, we thank you for what this points us to. We ask that you would help us to be prepared as we go out into enemy territory this week.
We pray that you would keep us focused on who we are, that we are your covenant people, and you have done everything for us, and there is great riches, spiritual beauty ahead of us, all by your grace. May it be that you are praised. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.